Okay, good morning again. If you would please turn to the Acts of the Apostles. Acts chapter 4, I'll be reading Acts 4, verses 13 through 22. Acts 4, 13 through 22. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible word. So, Father, help me unfold your word through your servant, Luke. Oh, let me speak what's here. Let the application be pertinent, biblical, true, and relevant to us in this day, in this age. To the glory of Jesus. To the glory of His name. Amen. There they were. Before the Sanhedrin with the power to punish. And Peter, we see, and, and John spoke with clarity and courage and boldness. And the question is, where did they or where do we get such clarity and boldness when it comes to testifying to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, according to our passage, that clarity, that boldness does not come from higher education or from profound giftedness to communicate. It comes from fellowship with Jesus. It comes from being with Jesus. It comes from spending time with Jesus. It comes from absorbing the Bible, the Scripture, 
just like Jesus did in His earthly sojourn, and communing with Him by the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit. It comes by daily praying with the Word and walking with Him. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. To remember the context, Peter and John were used by the resurrected Lord Jesus to heal this man who's in his 40s who had never, ever, ever walked before this. And he gets up and he walks. He enters the temple grounds. He runs. He jumps up and down praising God and it drew a large crowd. And then Peter preached the gospel to them and over 2,000 persons came to saving faith in Jesus. But this angered the Jewish leadership. And they had the chief of police of the temple go and arrest them. And they did, and they threw them in jail overnight. And then the next day they brought them before the Sanhedrin and interrogated them about what in the world they were doing. And Peter answered their question boldly this way. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by Him this man is standing before you healed. And there is salvation in no one else but Jesus, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we, even we Jews, must be saved. And that brings us to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So here they are, the council. There's at least 71 of them. They're there, and they are dumbfounded. They're actually amazed at what they just witnessed with Peter's boldness. Why? Because of the circumstances in which he did it. And how he did it. Before, before the court that has the power to punish. These blue-collar fishermen, uneducated, how were they so bold and articulate? And clear because they were speaking unambiguously with courage with clarity 
And they were doing it in extremely intimidating circumstances. They were before the cultural and the intellectual elite of the day. Before the court, they had the power religiously to punish them. Rome gave them that power over Jews. They were not formally educated. Peter and John never partook on a debate team. They never took classes on rhetoric. And so these Jewish leaders, it dawned on them. They remind us of that Jesus guy we just got rid of. Jesus dumbfounded them too when they put him on trial. And, and in John 7:15, we read this, referring to Jesus. The Jews, therefore, marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Okay, what that means is he has no formal education. Okay, the equivalent, they didn't have college in the way that we think about it, but the equivalent of college, like the Apostle Paul had, to study under Gamaliel. He's a scholar. Jesus didn't have it. But he was so articulate and so clear and so wise and so knowledgeable. And so, a couple months later, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were amazed and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They say, this is the way Jesus was. They must have gotten it from him. They recognized they had been with Jesus. The most important prerequisite for being a witness of Jesus Christ is not a seminary education. It is not a degree in Christian apologetics. It's being with Jesus, hanging out with Jesus, communing with Jesus over the Scripture and prayer. Many of these persons on this leadership council were well-educated in theology and Bible, and they were blind and irrational. We will see that in a moment. In order to have courage and clarity in the speaking of the truth of the gospel and its implications in the culture, one must commune with the resurrected Lord Jesus by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit over the truth of God's Word. Now, clarity, it's really not that hard. Every one of you is extremely articulate over what you really care about. And when your passions rise, it's amazing how the human being is articulate and clear. When I hear 
adult persons say something like, how do I make the Gospel clear to my children? I mean, what do I say to them, because they're children, about God and holiness, sin, and hell, and the cross of Christ. I'm at a loss of words on how to, to communicate it to my 10-year-old. The reason is they don't understand it themselves. It's not that they understand all those things, but now when it comes to a 10-year-old, I'm just have no clarity of thought and words to them. Because if they did, then the clarity that is in their head would fall out of their mouth in words to their ten-year-old. Our words are the mirror to the clarity or the fuzziness that is in our mind. When it comes to the truth of the Gospel and its implications, nothing replaces time with the Word of God. I mean the living, resurrected Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean the Scripture. To be with Him. And one element that emboldens or brings the boldness in such situations is to have the person be deeply confident of what they see and what they know. We'll see, we cannot but speak about what we have seen and what we have heard when you're clear on a few important things, you'll be articulate. And by the Holy Spirit, you'll have boldness to speak. Peter and John hung out with Jesus for a few years, and they saw Him die. And they encountered Him after His death and His resurrection appearances in many different instances. And Jesus in those was unfolding the Holy Scripture to them, pointing to Moses and Isaiah and the Psalms, showing how they were referring to Him, to Christ. They were with Jesus. So what was the secret of Peter's boldness here? His public speaking? We saw his being with Jesus. But we also saw, in the context before this, he was filled with the Spirit. He was different after the day of Pentecost. The empowerment of God, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ within him. And what did that produce? It produced this in Peter, and this is one of the keys. He, before that council, even with the threat of punishment, had zero desire to be praised. To be accepted. And thus he had no motive to be evasive. To be crafty, to be ambiguous with his words. 
Peter and John simply had life-changing experiences and encounters with the truth. With the very truth himself. And they endeavored to be honest about what they saw, what they know. And that's clarity. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is life itself. He is really good and loving to all His sheep. So what we, His sheep, constantly need is a dynamic, real, sincere, heartfelt prayer life to be with Jesus in the Word, in the Scripture. The more we have real communion with Christ in the very nitty-gritty of life, in our fears, in our problems, in our trials, and in the forming of our worldviews, then the more confident we will become with the truth. Then, when the moment comes, you just speak it. They were amazed at their boldness and clarity. They had been with Jesus because that's how Jesus was. Now, in the text, notice the response of the leadership council. The response to such boldness and such clarity coming out of Peter and John. Verse 14 forward. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed among them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them, and they charged them not to to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So, Peter, John, they declared openly and boldly that Jesus, the very one two months ago you crucified, had put to death, God raised him from the dead. He's the one who has healed this man sitting right here in front of you. And of course, they went on to say, there is salvation in no other person but Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And then they were all stunned and stumped and tongue 
died. They had no response. Why? Because they all knew this man in his 40s. They all knew him week after week, month after month, and year after year, begging at the temple gate, and he's never, ever walked. And he's standing, and they see him leaping and jumping right in front of them. Send him away. We've got to figure out how to deal with this. What is made clear then in the text, and this is happening throughout human history, what is made clear now is how sin, our sin natures, muddle the, the intellectual capacities, reasoning faculties of our human minds of fairly intelligent persons otherwise. It's everywhere. And we've all been affected by it. Notice the logic of what we read here. Notice the logic of the Sanhedrin. It essentially goes like this in verses 16 and 17. These guys, these disciples of Jesus, have a really strong case because that a divine healing has happened is undeniable. It's right here. Not only that, they claim the one we killed, Jesus, was raised from the dead and is the one that healed him. Okay, there you go, there's your first proposition. So, what do they do now? They go to their second. Therefore... Let's put a stop to it. That's the reasoning. Therefore, since it's true and undeniable, this man is miraculously healed, let's make sure they don't speak in the name of Jesus that healed the man anymore. Does that make sense? Intellectually and rationally, it doesn't. See, interpreted what verses 16 and 17 are saying is this. Yes, they make a really strong case. But we're not interested in the truth. We're interested in power. And Peter and John and the message of Jesus was a threat to their power. And that's the human condition. We live in it now. It is obvious, has been obvious to every tribe, culture, nation, people group throughout history. And it's obvious to anyone who believes in the natural sciences that there are only two sexes, male and female, according to biology. But we live in a time, here's, here's, the, here's the logic, Nevertheless, males and females are not determined by their biology, but by how a particular person feels one day or another. And these are statements of persons with average to above average IQs. 
It's not because intellectually they're dummies. Why? Because they have a worldview. Because they have an agenda. The council on this day had no desire to deal with the message that Jesus was the Messiah. They were only interested in shutting down Jesus' messengers in order to control public opinion. People toy with the truth all the time. Like a, a musician who's just fantastic with the hands right in front of you. Like, who's that guy who won that TV thing? But he's just amazing with cards. Tricks you. And this, not cards, but language, is being manipulated all the time in order to avoid the truth. Again, the logic. Women have a right to do with their bodies medically, according to whatever they want. Here's the logic. Therefore, keep abortion legal. It's a non sequitur. The conclusion had zero to do with the first proposition. No rational anti-abortion pro-life advocate is arguing that a woman doesn't have a right to do with her body what she wants. We argue she doesn't have a right to do with someone else's body, like kill it if she wants. So just like the Jewish leaders... People today have agendas. They have anti-Christian ideologies that are growing stronger and stronger in our culture. And they will believe the absolutely absurd. And they'll score 123 on an IQ test. G.K. Chesterton, about 100 years ago, said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. And boy, is he right. When people stop believing in God, they start believing that a biological male can be called a female. Or a biological female can be called and is a male. When people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe that the killing of a human fetus is not the killing of a human being because that particular woman does not want to bring that baby to full term. Therefore, it's not human. The other woman standing beside her, also eight weeks pregnant, decides, I want the baby. Therefore, it's a baby. 
They don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything. They believe that there are more than two sexes. There are 33 sexes or genders or 46 or I'm lost count. I don't know what they're saying anymore. But when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing. They believe in anything that's absurd. And we are all susceptible to this effect of sin upon our reasoning faculties to one degree or another. Our minds can become very selective in what we deem to be true or fact. Why? Our minds are tempted to do that in order to justify what our desires or hearts really want. That man right beside you, Peter and John, who has been healed, yes, therefore, let's try to stomp out this message of Jesus. Our hearts desire power. And these guys are a threat to that. And that brings us then to the crucial application of this text, which is this. Our calling as Christians in a world like this is to respond like Peter and John. Verses 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Okay, just, just, just look at the words he said again to them. They were very confrontational words. The implication of what Peter just said to the Sanhedrin is, you, the leadership of the Jews, you're in the wrong. In the name of being religious leaders, you are fighting against the one true God. That's what they said. And Peter he assumes something that the confused leadership council cannot for the life of them grasp. And Peter doesn't care. He doesn't worry about that. He just states the truth, the logic, the facts. Peter assumes that he himself and John have to choose between listening and obeying God or listening and obeying the injunction of the council. 
He says to them, you tell us not to continue to speak about Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the one whom you put to death but God raised from the dead and that there is no salvation in any other person but Him. You tell us, stop doing that. God told us to continue to preach exactly that. And not only that, the very Jesus whom you killed, whom God raised from the dead, has Himself very directly commanded us to go on preaching this reality. We are eyewitnesses of His resurrection. He has shown Himself to us on many occasions, and we cannot deny this. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John know that Jesus is alive. That emboldened them. They know He is the Messiah. They have a deep, deep conviction about these truths. And thus they will hold to and they will testify to the truth of God. To the truth of right versus wrong, good versus evil. And to the reality that Jesus, the Messiah, is the only way to God savingly. And so, we today in 2018 and beyond, as believers, will also hold to the truth of verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We will hold to the sanctity of human life and thus abhor the killing of children in the womb. We will hold to the creation ordinance of marriage between one man and one woman. We will hold to the truth that there are only two sexes, scientifically, biologically, obviously, and from Genesis 1.27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. We who have had the grace of God by the power of the Holy Spirit open the eyes of our hearts to see and love and receive and embrace Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. We learn from Peter and John that we need to stand on the truth of Scripture and speak it without worrying what the legal system or the culture thinks. It is amazing how Peter and John responded to a very intimidating situation. The legal system that as Jews they were under. The rulers told them that they are to keep their mouths shut 
from now on about their Christianity. But they respond, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. As for us, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John's underlying assumption was you leaders, you have a foundational misconception of reality that leads you to command us not to obey the Creator, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses. Peter assumes it, and he states it here. He doesn't argue with them. He didn't feel he had to win a debate with them. He was just stating plainly what he knew what he heard, what he saw. He was stating plainly, therefore we have to and will go on believing and speaking the truth, the reality in God's Word. We must speak what we have seen and heard. Now, it is true Absolutely, we all have differing gifts as believers in local communities throughout the centuries. And yes, some are gifted and some are particularly called to debate, to debate publicly, to debate in writing. Yes, called to persuade in different contexts. I understand all that. But one big take-home from what we see in this passage this morning is that even though we live in a time now where basic scriptural assumptions about reality are not assumed anymore, we just need to go on believing and speaking. Go on testifying to what you see, what you know in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in Holy Scripture about truth. And do it without worrying about what the society you live in thinks. Whether they agree with you or not. Go on testifying that it's obvious to you that there is a holy God, that there is therefore such a thing as good versus evil, sin versus righteousness. Go on testifying that you yourself and all people are sinners in need of being mercifully saved from the future judgment which is to come, and that Jesus the Christ is the only Door, the only way to eternal salvation and happiness after this life. Go on 
testifying that God created humanity in His own image and there are only two distinct kinds of human beings. Males and females. Go on testifying that babies in the womb are of supreme value and they are not to be killed because that is evil. Go on testifying that marriage is a creation ordinance of God that reflects Jesus Christ, the masculine, and the church, the feminine. And that, therefore, in humanity, it's a parable and it is a covenant between one man and one woman defined the old-fashioned way. Your job is not necessarily to change people's minds or to win debates, but it is first and foremost to say what God says. So go on speaking. Speaking the truth of Scripture. Because even though Many have their consciences seared and their reasoning faculties so distorted as they are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. The truth spoken with clarity is used by our Father in heaven to save many, to awaken them to reality. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard and know. Father, thank you that as with Peter and as with John, you have poured out the Holy Spirit through your eternal Son that we who have come to saving refuge in Him don't need to worry about tomorrow, but each day when needed, the words and confidence and boldness will be granted. But we do know how You have called us to walk. And that is to walk with You, to walk by the Spirit, to yearn for the fruit of the Spirit to be born in our lives, to yearn for our hearts to grow in their hunger for Your Word and truth in this world, in the midst of our families, extended families, neighborhoods, workplaces. Oh, Father, do it. Those who are experiencing extreme persecution throughout this world today, strengthen them. Strengthen them with boldness, clarity, a deep-seated joy to stand for truth. Amen.